The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. With an all-new Keep It, I'm Aida Osman. Stop. What is this? What is this? What is going on? I'm back. I'm back, ladies. Today's Ramadan. You're not going to get me, Ira. You're not going to get me. I have Allah on my side. And I'm Louis Fertel, Taylor's version. <laughs> and, and I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Prophet Muhammad. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Hello. I'm excited that you're back with us this week, Aida. Yeah, me too. I'm here and I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. Yes. Um, you guys were very concerned that I was just dead. I got a lot of messages that were, like, are you alive? <laughs> I don't know why me being gone for a week correlates to instant death. And if you guys would just like not talk about it as if that would actually happen. So Yeah, like, well, she died. Anyway, let's <laughs> talk about Jennifer Aniston this week. Anyway, Hanif, your book. <laughs> uh, I also want to just point out for like housekeeping reasons to our listeners that the three of us have jobs. And uh, besides this, and we also don't record every interview literally on the same time that we record the rest of the show. So sometimes yes, people yes. won't be in every segment. Mm-hmm. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Get over it. And it's okay. I identify first and foremost as booked and busy. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to understand. You're competing with that. Uh, I would also be remiss if I did not open the episode by paying some respects to Dante Wright. Uh, It has been another week in America. And as the pandemic is ending, I guess we're going back to mass shootings and people being... Black people being killed by the police. So, love that. A reminder that we should be defunding the police, despite what some CNN anchors think. I can't. Uh, Which one could you possibly be referring to? Larry King? That was so crazy when Larry King said that. Lawrence O'Donnell came on and said, hey, I was talking to my girlfriend, Tamron Hall, and I think that we should not defund the police. Um... I am always shocked when I remember that they are dating. There are some surprise relationships out there. You shocked yeah. me right now. Oh, you! Mm-hmm. He must be putting it down. Uh, I mean, I didn't need to hear that, but all right. <laughs> he must be running up and down the hall. Oh God! <laughs> Added to the list of things I do not want to think about or a picture ever again. Um, Ira. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, I mean, there's truly nothing else to say that we haven't said before. Besides, you know defund the police which is not just a slogan it is also a actionable policy and you know if we did things like deferring police funds to people who don't have guns who could do traffic stops a lot of the black people who end up dead would probably not be dead because many of them are at traffic stop situations so Mm -hmm. let's think about that anyway got a rest of a sort of sad episode oh true yeah we're gonna talk about dmx right oh yeah um his memory back to keep it being about recent deaths yeah oh, yeah guess who died the show yes yeah yeah 
We're going to talk about DMX and a bit about celebrity addictions. Uh, but then we will also be joined by three guests this week. So what is this? Yeah, are, are, yeah. are we Dick Cavett inviting on all of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and Joni Mitchell to sit around and jam? Uh, well, making her triumphant keep it return this week is Ray Sani. Oh, our very good friend. Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Alongside um, her new podcast co-host um, Jaquise Neal, they are the hosts of a new podcast called The Cast, which is about reality TV shows, which we love. So we do tend to talk about them. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, Lewis and I will be chopping it up with Ray and Jaquise, and then. The three of us uh, have a very fun conversation with Ben Folds. Guys, the, the best interview we've done. I left that conversation so happy and fulfilled and ready to do like E minor diminished chords in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. He really has this little whimsical smile that just stamps optimism on your day. What a nice, fun, uh, cool veteran. Mm-hmm. Of the biz. Yeah. And it will lead you to a YouTube spiral of watching Ben Fold's videos from what, 1995? Like, there's a lot of years of options. So mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah. Uh, now, I feel like we come alive when we talk to musicians. So, and then <laughs> more of them should come on, keep it. Side note, I come alive every time Aida has new musicians to recommend to me. <laughs> Yeah, I was listening to your new playlist this morning. Kind of cute, huh? <laughs> kind of cute, girls. Go check it's it out. It's cute. Go check yes. it out. It is. Now I'm like introducing me to people that I did not know, like um, Icy Twat, yes, Mustafa, Twat is- <laughs> Hook. <laughs> the names are wild, but the songs are great. You will have fun. You will have the fun. The songs are great. The only thing that I can categorize it as is like black futuristic music that's all like rap and hip hop, and it's fun. A lot of Crashing synths, a lot of distorted yeah, voices. Just go check it out. You know that's my shit. You know, also Ice Cold Bishop. That's the one I was listening to the most. You got a deep dive. Sorry, I'm still coping with the name Icy Twat. Wow, that really <laughs> threw me. <laughs> you guys were having a conversation, and I like floated to another dimension. Well, you guys know um, I'm drawn to names like that. Didn't care what the music was about. Just <laughs> had to see who was this person. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, it did lead me down a path where I was listening to Jack Harlow songs, but that's okay. He's cute. <laughs> move on, move on, move on. White boy I don't summer. Incriminate myself. I can't incriminate myself any further. Uh, let me turn into Brenda Lee Johnson from The Closer and really get into what you think about Jack Harlow, Aida. <laughs> Lewis, if you scoff at White Boy Summer one more time, I'm advocating for your rights. You are a white boy. You are a white boy. I guess I should feel, right, represented or something, but instead I feel chilled to the bone. So working with that. But also you just brought up Kira Sedgwick, and now I'm thinking about how when I see her sometimes, she looks sometimes exactly like Sandra Bernhard to me and other times exactly like Jennifer Jason Lee. It's like that vase with the profiles facial Mm. illusion thing. Like... Anyway, these are people who look like in the same, like you can slip Jamie Presley in there, I think. Anyway, I can't wait to get back to hiking Griffith Park where I could see her and Kevin um, just walking, hiking, having a good time. Mm-hmm. Murder in the first co stars. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they talk about all the time. They cannot stop talking about murder in the first. <laughs> I believe it. Anyway, you may get a lot of my Kira Sedgwick in the closer 
southern accent this week because I am in Savannah, Georgia. I've been walking around pretending that I'm in Big Daddy's house. (laughs) (laughs) The 2000s. I want to apologize for the whole thing, but okay. (laughs) I meant Big Daddy from... um, Oh, that's Big Mama's house. Yeah. Oh, Big Daddy uh, 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 from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yes, Barola. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought you thought I meant Big Daddy, the Adam Sandler movie. Uh, No. This has been a real who's on first. (laughs) I thought you meant I thought you meant Big Papa from Real Housewives of Atlanta. So <laughs> we're all in different places entirely. Anyway, we'll be right back. <laughs> Some cool cricket store news. We've dropped our first ever pool float that says vaccinated. Super fun colors, but I am not getting one until Tommy Vitor sends us a personal photo of him on one. Yes, I need more care packages from Tommy, and not like the time he sent me a bunch of cardboard stick masks of John Favreau. Still traumatized. <laughs> there are limited quantities available, so get your pre-order in now at crooked.com/store. Last Friday, after a week in the hospital, beloved rapper Earl Simmons, a.k.a. DMX, passed away at the age of 50. He was the first artist to debut an album at number one five times in a row. That seems so insane. Insane. It's ridiculous. Mm. Not easy to get. Not everybody has that. Truly. Uh In light of his public lifelong substance abuse issues and documentaries focusing on the addiction and mental health issues of singers like Demi Lovato and Britney Spears, um, it seems that we as a society are sort of reframing the way we discuss celebrities who struggle with addiction now. No, think of the word crack. Who do you associate it with? Whitney Houston. Because I think think about specifically around that time, like late 90s, Whitney, I guess going into the early 90s. I think people think of celebrities as indulgent, period. Like, it's indulgent that they want attention. It's indulgent that they're always, you know, performing in front of us. And so they sort of glibly stamp something like addiction as another form of just the zany way celebrities live with no actual consideration of the reality behind it. Even a couple weeks ago on this podcast, I made a joke glibly about Janis Joplin. It's like, right, a part of me still thinks the excess of being a rocker is still some glam thing detached from the reality of hardcore addiction, which obviously killed her. Mm -hmm. So there's a callousness about how we think of celebrities in relation to drug addiction. And by the way, that's apart from our misunderstanding of the life of a drug addict, period, which is also, you know, a weak Mm -hmm. understanding. Yeah. Not even just drug addiction, too, but it's like, I think that's how our relationship with celebrities in general, you will see that from the way that people sort of discuss celebrities' relationships online or will sort of just be awful to them when you look at gossip sites right and it's things where people talk about which celebrity is nice and which one isn't right and that's usually based on which celebrity they were able to interrupt a dinner that they were having uh force them to take a photo or get an autograph and if that person put up with it in a nice way oh it was such a nice celebrity and if the celebrity is like can you leave me alone (laughs) that person's an asshole 
you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just this sort of idea that because they are famous, we could sort of like treat them however we want. And everything that they do is like serving at the pleasure of us. Yeah. Uh, in a way. Well, and the, and the thing you're talking about where someone is reporting on somebody else's behavior, the shield they get is no one is criticizing their behavior. Like we don't know who at this all. person is who's giving us the tea. And so there's no risk for them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just brings you to a fact of like, we get so much from the celebrities. The reason why many people are celebrities, uh, and I'm talking about real ones, you know, they give <laughs> us uh, entertainment and films, you know, like you connect to an emotional performance. Music, you connect to it. Um, we'll be talking with um, Ben Folds about that in a bit, you know, but it's like the joy that you would get from Whitney, her music still moves us to this day. It's wild that you could have that emotional connection to an artist and then in the same breath, like make jokes about her being a crack addict. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do both at the same time. Like we create this distance and also an obsession with them. And we were just talking two weeks ago about the Tina Turner documentary and how quickly after the abuse with Ike, she became the focal point of so many crack lyrics and domestic abuse lyrics. Like it's something that we do. And we oftentimes think that like these people are deserving of their abuse because of their fame or we can ignore the abuse because of the fame that they have. Like at least they have this life of luxury. They can Mm -hmm. deal with it. Weirdly from Sage prophet Azalea Banks. uh, (laughs) She had a Instagram uh, video where she discussed uh, DMX after his passing. She really hit on some good points actually just about the idea of celebrities dealing with mental health issues uh, and the fact that, the people in charge of them, like labels and managers and things like really have no incentive to help these people, you know, unless they actually care about them as a person, like they're a friend or something, mm-hmm. because it's really just sort of about the bottom line. And, you know, it. she talked about how a celebrity like DMX, you know, could like go through money issues. And we know how many artists do we know have gone through money issues because of um people at the top sort of like skimming or just sort of like taking advantage of people you know we've seen it with tlc and pebbles Uh, Mm -hmm, (laughs) you know mm -hmm. um watch that behind the music if you haven't i'm sure it's on youtube (laughs) (laughs) seen it with rihanna and her accountant bitch better have my money yeah (laughs) period (laughs) that's where bitch better have my money came from you know from the fact that like Mm -hmm. she had money stolen from her and on the flip side we're just seeing, like, Rihanna's releasing a new fucking album, like, every year. Yeah. Why is she constantly releasing all this damn music? Chill out, girl. And it's because, like, she was in this contract and, like, wasn't getting all that money, you know? And it's that reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Azalea was just making a point of artists, you know, who, one, a lot of times don't control their masters and aren't getting as much money from their art as you think they are and are enriching other people. When you say things like, um, this person is dealing with um, addiction, this person has some mental health issues and they should go get some help. Uh, She pointed out that whenever people would be like, why didn't Azealia go get some help? Why didn't she get a therapist? She was like, bitch, I couldn't afford to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And she just yeah. pointed out that now she feels a lot better because she is in therapy and she can afford it because um, she's finally starting to see money from, like, her debut album. NFT sex tapes. Oh, okay. <laughs> but also, was making a lot of uh, money from audio sex tapes. Yes, plus we know, she, we know she stole something out of Elon's house and sold it for some Bitcoin. Yeah, 
Probably like a dinosaur tooth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. He just had lying around in like his silverware. She stole silverware Denver, drawer. the last dinosaur. That, that's who Elon had in his house. Um, I have to say about um, uh, DMX, I was actually surprised by the appreciation of him as a lyricist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I just think of him as somebody who arrived in that block of pop star sized rappers in like the late nineties, you know, obviously mm-hmm. rap had been extremely mainstream, extremely popular, but I feel like around that time, like around the Eminem birth and stuff, that's when rappers started to emerge the same way. Someone like Britney Spears would emerge, you know, just like somebody mm-hmm. who took over the charts and we were, uh, there are posters on our wall. They exist right alongside them on TRL or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like ignorant about the fact that he was such a specific and, uh, kind of rad lyricist. I also was unaware of his homophobic lyrics, but I felt like we should have taken a breath after his death before we re-explored those. Yeah, yeah. that is... Let me address both of these. Uh, the first one, I see a lot of people referring to him, you know, sort of as like a preacher. And I definitely sort of feel that sense in that I commented uh, after his death that um, I used to constantly return to DMX songs as a kid and I, it didn't really click to me but now it sort of does he was a person who like talked about pain and suffering um but not in a sort of like i'm over it sort of like way that like a lot of people could like in the 90s you know like a kurt cobain or something like that you know like like uh or even like a um fiona you know like and that obviously fiona is someone who you know dealt with a lot of you know like sexualization like as a woman in the industry but there's sort of that pervasive music era um, particularly that white people were able to engage in in like alternative music spaces where it's like, I'm over it and the world sucks, you know? And mm. DMX gave a lot of like, the world sucks, but like I'm surviving it and finding that joy in the suffering. And I found a lot of his music is just like really positive, you know? And it's sort of talking about like, why why want death when I could want, you know, like life and happiness. And I think when you go and look back at a lot of DMX lyrics, um, there a lot of them are very hopeful and inspirational. Yeah. Second to what you are saying, uh, that is also an annoying tendency that um, gay people do. Uh, <laughs> white gay people, when it comes to, you know, like artists like that, it's like the man died and now we have to be like, oh, look at these homophobic lyrics. And it's like, okay, well, a lot of you stand people who had homophobic leadings like years ago too. There should be an understanding of like the environments that people are raised in and also like wondering like what sort of harm they're also causing to queer people as well too. You know, like mm-hmm. homophobic lyrics in DMX songs from the early 2000s, late 90s um, is something that was prevalent in hip hop then. Um, But it's also something that we're slowly moving past. But it's also something where it's like it was contributing to a sort of culture, but it it wasn't a thing that was, you know, like passing legislation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the the people who are passing like anti-trans bills across America right now didn't get that from listening to Party Up. (laughs) I do think there's, I mean, I'm I'm all for exploring homophobic lyrics and where they come from and who they're supposed to appeal to and who they're supposed to alienate. Completely down for that. It's just interesting in a conversation about somebody who has just died tragically and who did have a a positive impact otherwise. It's Uh almost like for me personally, I don't know how I should compartmentalize it. Like, like just take the moment to mm-hmm. learn about his vast and not just his popular stuff, l- l- look into this person, but then also 
reserve a special moment for that too and realize like, all right, he was home. He wrote homophobic stuff too. Yeah. And that also happened to me on the other side being that like people were reminding me immediately when I would talk about morning DMX, people were reminding me of his domestic abuse allegations, which something that comes up Mm -hmm. damn near immediately after. And I would also bring up the addiction and I'm as a fan trying to reconcile the fact that yes, this person did abuse someone, but was also dealing with addiction quite openly and was wearing that trauma and his pain in his lyrics of his songs. So it was very candid in a way about the things that he was going through. Mm-hmm. And you know, what is the role of the audience member to be able to like sift through all those emotions, especially while you're dealing with the grief of losing an artist you like a lot. So, you know, it, it can all get very muddied. There's also when he was on, you know, couples therapy at, you know, discussing his relationship problems, you know, with his estranged wife, uh, who, you know, they reconciled to raise their kids the four that they have together and she was by his side when he died um but during that show it was harrowing you know when he talked about the abuse that he suffered from his mother you know how she used to like Mm. tell him she never loved him how she used to like wake him up in the middle of the night like whipping him with extension cords you know it's it's like understanding the abuse that someone goes through that creates cycles of abuse uh and those are the conversations that we should be having particularly with artists you know Mm -hmm. because the people who go into the arts are usually damaged and abused people um, who are finding some way to um, make sense of it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and their attempts to make sense of it often help us make sense of the things that we're going through. Um, so I find it shameful, you know, for people to get so much from artists um, that, um, you know, help them do what their own mental health struggles um, and their own like emotional issues and then turn around and treat those people like cattle or treat them like shit um, in the aftermath of their deaths. I wonder if we'll ever have a definitive conversation about how VH1 exploited mental illness it, specifically <laughs> in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Now, now, obviously there are lots of like docudramas, you know, like intervention, I, I guess would be like in the upper tier, like the Yale mm-hmm. of these shows or whatever. But VH1, I mean, I remember watching Jeff Conaway from Greece on one of those shows, and I thought to myself, I'm watching somebody dying. Wow. This is, and, and, and it's part of like just an ensemble of people, quote unquote, getting through something, but in fact, just being filmed. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like any care was being taken. It was their celebrity was being exploited, and thus all their problems were being exploited. Like they had nowhere else to turn. What a weird and strange era in reality TV. Mm-hmm. And I probably watched too much of it. So. <laughs> and it and it shaped me dearly. So um, I feel I was also thinking this. I was thinking about the way that like musicians have been alchemizing their pain for entertainment as opposed to like comedians, because I mean, recently we heard information about John Mulaney Mm -hmm. going to rehab, who, I mean, he'd spoken very, very openly about his alcohol addiction and drug misuse when he was younger, and then he'd been sober for a long time and was providing all this entertainment and like seemed to be the funniest, calmest, most stable guy until all of a sudden this happened. But it also made me think about people like Richard Pryor and Mm -hmm. Craig Ferguson and Maria Bamford and Jane Lynch and these people who have used their mental illness and their addiction to be the the thing that propels them through their career mm-hmm. in a way that it is the the overarching umbrella. It's like what ties all of their art together. And I think Demi Lovato is the perfect example of this, like this new subsect of of celebrities and artists who 
a lot of their career is defined by their their addiction. Okay, so here's something else I want to say about that though, because definitely comedians who are uh, and artists who you know talk about their addiction and it becomes sort of like a focal point of you know their art, you know something that they're struggling with. There's also a way that it feels exploitative. And I would say that in regards to Demi Lovato, only because, like, she has had multiple, like, documentaries and specials, you know, about her addiction, right? And it's not the fact that she's releasing these things. It, for me, it feels like the product itself, you know? Like, the recent music video that she had, you know, talking about her addiction um and ODing like it's just like it's so glamorized that it almost feels like it's addiction porn mm-hmm. and there's also the fact that every time she has been on a news cycle discussing her addiction she manages to like use the name of someone else who's suffering someone to promote it like recently you know she was asked on TMZ about DMX and, you know, sort of doing like, it could have been me, you know, and like maybe I could excuse the fact that she was asked by TMZ. But then I remember, you know, like after Mac Miller died, she was like, that could have been me, you know, like relating it to her own story. Mm. And it's sort of like, at what point are you able to critique an artist's art being, I am presenting this journey that I'm going through, but I'm also presenting it in some sort of like, sexy glamorized sort of way yeah yeah that doesn't feel authentic I, at first i was extremely frustrated and i or you and i t- uh, dm'd about this uh-huh. that every time i would google dmx right when we were figuring out that he was about like we were predicting that he was about to pass probably inappropriately it was only demi lovato mm. articles her name was popping up in the search engine and at first i was so irritated and then i took some time and was like oh maybe she's promoting dancing with the devil like she's doing a documentary tour and it so happened that dmx passed at the same time and then i was like bitch why are you on tmz talking about your documentary anyway like Mm -hmm. why of all places and so every time i want to excuse her and specifically tmz which has you know propagated so much abuse of celebrities um Mm -hmm. like a britney and just sort of really exploited them um, to then go on TMZ and talk about your own struggles. Yeah, I'm like, what's not clicking? No reason. No reason to be there. The villain here also is probably Scooter Braun, her manager. Yeah, Mm. we forget. We were just talking about exploitive reps. Yeah, you know, he's Satan incarnate. So there's that. (laughs) He's the one who made Ariana Grande go be on The Voice. Oh, right. Oh, (laughs) Good call. Um, I do uh, wish I enjoyed the new Demi Lovato album better. I think it's like, okay. It's so funny. The song that Ariana is on, another thing that Scooter probably sent her a text and was like, be on this Demi track. Mm-hmm. Um, the lyrics no, of that song, no, like, do I have to? I met the devil. Yeah, I met him last night. I can't listen to that song without laughing. Right. It, it feel, <laughs> unfortunately, it's laden with cliches and it just kind of comes to show, even if you have like a horrifying experience and a tough life, whatever. It also was not quite the same thing as being an interesting artist. And I feel like she is sort of <laughs> obsessed with us mistaking the one for the other, you know? Yeah. You know. Yeah. I Let me stop because... You know, let me stop. No, I've been too mean already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's a great she's a great vocalist. I just don't think mm-hmm. I, I would sort of compare it to Taylor Swift. I think her music is fun, but she can't do interesting. There are cool textures to her music, but she doesn't. It's like she herself has a limited range of things she is interested in, and therefore I'm not 
mm-hmm. absorbed in her artistry. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you guys saw Alison Stoner going on an Instagram campaign talking about how we need to start having conversations about childhood stars and the trauma that they've endured. I don't know if you saw that. But um, it is reminding me a lot that Demi Lovato, again, has been famous since she was, what, four? Totally, right. <laughs> on yes. Barney. And, yes. and it's reminding me the lack of depth you are able to create when you have been, you know, a star mm-hmm. for the majority of your life. It must be incredibly hard to face addiction coming from that perspective because there's, there's no alternative life that you know. Yeah. You know, or can reach for. You know, it's your... your getting better so that you can get back into the thing that created the trauma in the first place. Exactly. And by, and excuse me, by lack of, of depth, I actually mean like the amount of exploitative people around you and mm. the, the inability to like become your own human because you're forced to be all these other humans for all these different people. Yeah. I routinely see people who become famous like in their thirties say feeling grateful it happened then because so they grateful. at least have mm-hmm. some sort of, foundation of normalcy or priorities outside of success and like an entertainment based business, et cetera. Mm. And like, you can't empathize with someone like Demi Lovato in that way. Like, I don't know how that shapes you and changes you and Mm -hmm. refigures your life. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, there's someone like Miley Cyrus who came up through that same atmosphere, but you know, she was the star of Hannah Montana and her dad was also a star and a producer on it, you know? So there is that built-in safety net that she had that other young Disney stars didn't have. Yeah, the ability to navigate this industry (laughs) that Billy Ray had that, um, you know, who knows? Who knows? That's the takeaway from this conversation. Trust Billy Ray Cyrus. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I mean, helping Lil Nas X go to his number one, too. That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. Lest we not forget. And also, check up on Noah, because I don't know what Noah's up to, but I don't want her to be the forgotten daughter. She got that Best New Artist nomination. Didn't Noah recently get in trouble for, like, saying, like, nappy-headed hoes on Instagram? Oh, God. Well, I shouldn't have taught her that language. (laughs) Stop (laughs) hanging out with Noah, Aida. You're right. You're right. Pack it up. Pack it up. She was so good in Ponyo. I had to figure out how she did it. Wait, did we know Miley Cyrus had a brother? Yes. Yes. Trey Cyrus from Metro Station. How fucking dare you? (laughs) The the reason I was reminded of Miley's brother is because, remember, he used to date Brenda Song? No. And now he's with Macaulay Culkin. She's with Macaulay Culkin. And they they just had a baby. Okay, great. And they named it Dakota. These are all important facts that you all need to know. He's 40, I always forget, because he, he just seems forever young. No, right. He, these people that b- are born in the 80s yet 40. The math yeah, doesn't like, seem to check out, and yet that's how it works now. Um, like, the brothers, Kieran and Rory, seem like they're, they are aging normally, but like Macaulay will always be like a um, child in um, the Home Alone movies and yeah. or um, Michael Jackson's bedroom in that music video with his oh yes Mm-mm. black or white is the video um yes. yeah with his like large claymation child eyes um do you know a, a child i had forgotten about do you know that meryl streep has four kids and one is a man in his 40s <laughs> mm. eric owens md that's <laughs> that's not it no <laughs> henry wolf yes henry and he's a musician henry wolf and her youngest wow. daughter the one we never hear about louisa jacobson is going to be on the new julian fellows show on hbo the gilded age opposite christine baranski and cynthia nixon i can't believe we get a show with christine baranski and cynthia nixon that is isn't a Noel Coward play restaged in 1985, but. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, you know when you don't get a joke, but the cadence was funny. Though <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, the, the Meryl Streep, not that well-known son, uh, always reminds me of Jane Fonda's son, Troy Garrity. Yes, who was Golden in, like, Globe the nominee. Bar- who's in the barbershop <laughs> movies. Yes, right. What is going on? If Gene Fonda had a kid, do you think he'd be named Troy Garrity? It just seems very, (laughs) doesn't make any sense. It feels like he should have six hyphens in his name and there should be Turner in there and Vadim and Hayden and all those other names. (laughs) Anyway. Well, this summer, this summer, catch Macaulay Culkin in Nursing Home Alone. That old, (laughs) old man. (laughs) All right, yeah. It's coming. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for playing I, at midnight, Aida. Okay. <laughs> you know what? That was actually what? very funny. And that I was care funny. a lot. I care a lot might have been better if Macaulay Culkin was Kevin in a nursing home and Rosamund <laughs> Pike was like the sticky bandit. <laughs> <laughs> wet wet bandits. Oh. Who are the sticky bandits? That's another reason why I think that we should be running all of Hollywood. Scoring all the movies, making Mm -hmm. all the castings, just be the three of us. We would be spread thin, but things would get done. (laughs) Who are the sticky bandits? Did I make that up? I think they refer to themselves as the sticky bandits in Home Alone 2, which, Mm. as you know, I consider a Brenda Fricker vehicle. Okay. Well, the more you know. Anyway... Which br- this has wait. been ten minutes of useless facts. Cast. Like, That's why people listen to this show. <laughs> I think the world is evenly divided between which Brenda in Macaulay Culkin's life they prefer: Brenda Song or Brenda Fricker. I am Team Fricker, and come follow me to the promised land. I don't think anyone <laughs> thinks about that at all, Lewis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But Lewis has decreed, girl. That's the, that's the, law, the law of the land. <laughs> we will be right back. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with Glad. So they are by the people, for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. (laughs) Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover. The shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah, or broke the fourth wall. (laughs) You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when... It feels affirming when others, blank, I connect to my community by, I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say, whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include, my chosen family is the best at, and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Our guest today is a multi-platinum singer-songwriter, New York Times best-selling author, 
National Geographic photographer, arts education advocate, and now a podcaster. So really, he's not doing much. Please welcome the host of Lightning Bugs with Ben Folds, Ben Folds himself. Hey, how's it going? Very excited to have you on the show because you were the topic of a very heated debate in high school. <laughs> I'm from Milwaukee, uh, and we had Summerfest there, of course. And oh, I remember yeah. one summer, uh, you caused chaos at school <laughs> just because you were playing opposite Guster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone at school was, there were like heated debates about where you're going to go see Ben Folds or are you going to go see Guster? And I picked you. <laughs> the obvious choice. You made the right choice, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I feel like that's when I was introduced to you. So that was oh, a big cool. sort of like a fun high school era. You were at that festival in high school. I can only imagine might have been drinking a little before you. I definitely was. Uh, and I used to work at summer. That's such a drunken fest. It's <laughs> seriously, it's like world famously of all to me, of all the uh, of all the festivals you play. That's that's the drunkest. Mm-hmm. And it's not bad. I mean, it's like people are are, 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 are cool. It's not gross, but it's pretty drunk. Yeah. Um, I used to work at Summerfest, too, um, in the summers between high school. So I feel like I was introduced to every single artist that I sort of like listen to now because I got into every concert that always happened there. The coolest memory I have of uh, Summerfest was being in the elevator at the hotel. And there were a couple of fellas in the in the elevator. And I looked over and one of them is definitely Jeff Bridges. <laughs> and I, was, I was about to say, hey. You're Jeff. I don't know. It's terrible. You know, like this, just the cornball stuff you do in, in elevators when you see famous people. And the other guy says, you're Ben Folds. And that turned out to be Michael McDonald. Whoa. <laughs> and we, uh, I ended up playing with them that night, which was, which was fun. It's beautiful. Oh my God. Wow. Could you do what a fool believes? Cause I would love to hear your version of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. No, we, it was, uh, it was Jeff's thing. He was putting out a record and this was prior to the movie he did where he played a, a country singer. And I tell you what, man, we got in his little limo after it was done and was driving off in the back. I have never seen so many middle-aged women throwing their breasts at a car before. Like, holy shit. I was like, is this normal for you? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) Now, you mentioned before that there are drunk audiences at Yes, but I feel like you in general are somebody that encourages kind of, I don't want to say a raucous atmosphere because you obviously have Mm -hmm. some serious songs too, but like, you're such a comfortable and like chill person. I think makes people feel at home. Are you used to handling like a very rowdy crowd? Oh no! You know, I actually after a career gets as long as mine has been, they they they, they tend to kind of shape themselves in in an image. Like they, there's a style to the audience now, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. I think they're just really, for the most part, kind of kind, uh, informal. Mm-hmm. So there might be a certain kind of heckling but i think we all understand that i've encouraged maybe a, a kind of informality over the years that has now sort of taken shape yeah i wouldn't say uh they were overly rowdy i mean i do a lot of orchestra shows and of course the orchestra is sitting there wondering why uh, people are, are yelling rock this bitch at me <laughs> <laughs> and i just explained to the orchestra you know that it's you know it's okay <laughs> 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 that's such an interesting thing to me 
the idea of an artist who's had a long career of the audience that sort of grows with them. Because mm-hmm. I would imagine like the audience I was with in high school, we were being drunk idiots. But I imagine like as they're growing up now, they've probably eased into like they're adults and they have kids and like I drunk just know idiot that, adults. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just know that like I uh Hall and Oates is one of my favorite bands and I oh. went to see them at the Hollywood Bowl once and I was seated next to this couple and they were like so excited that I liked them and they were telling me about how they went on their first date to see Hall and Oates yeah. in the 80s and so it's just I imagine that people who see Ben Folds concerts now are like have been seeing you since 95 that and, does become a you know, thing it does become a thing because people People grow with it. I mean, I think it's always bonus to also bring along a new a new generation mm-hmm. so that it doesn't become what they started to call heritage rock, which sounds absolutely abysmal. <laughs> it just sounds so I picture straw hats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, heritage so, yeah. rock sounds a little like Fox News. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and but but it's also like it, it's uh that sort of uh uh community of people who are likely to have something in common mm-hmm. as long as it stops short of a cult mm-hmm. is uh is kind of a it's something I didn't expect to be like a uh, a bonus feel good thing. I didn't you know like when I started out I didn't expect I'd be looking out at older people eventually that I would see myself in the mirror as being older and that we would all be in some little corny ass club that it's it's kind of cool like there's something to it you know and what's bizarre to me is is when someone brings out now their grandkids who are old enough to go to shows and there's three generations of uh of people who've listened to your music it's it is it's pretty cool i mean it's I don't know if cool is the right word. It's it's it warms the heart. Oh. Well, that kind of goes into my question because I want to ask you, how familiar are you with the childish Gambino lyric? I have five on it like Ben Folds. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> when that came out. That was really, really cool. You know, I think we met a couple of times on the set of community. Mm. Uh, because mm. I, I did uh, I I did uh, some cameos over, over there. So he was probably just searching for a lyric that day. And I was the closest person he'd come in contact to like, okay, sure. That guy <laughs> that is a seriously talented cat. That guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I just mm-hmm. like the comparison of like, I'm going to put $5 on this sack of weed in comparison to Ben, Ben folds five. <laughs> like the yeah. We both have five in it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. He's a poet. You can't, don't question that. <laughs> but like, I feel like you have a connection to comedy anyway. First of all, mm. you're one of the few singer songwriters I can think of who over the years consistently will have funny lyrics. Mm. And I find that so, I guess, rare. Like mm. I, 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 on occasion I say, like I'm a big Amy Mann fan and she has a kind of dry, dark sense of yeah. humor. Mm. And like you, you occasionally will hear something like that in singer songwriterly music, but do you feel like an anomaly in terms of somebody who will actually just be funny in music? You risk a lot when you, uh, because of the way people tend to receive, consume, absorb their music. I feel like the mind state, uh, the, the state of mind that you go into, uh, that most of us go into is, is kind of compartmentalized. So uh, it's a long way of just saying that people don't expect funny with serious when it comes to songs. And I don't judge that. That was a bad or good thing. I just see 
life as being funny and sad. And I think that they complement each other. And I think that's what I have in common with comedians because a lot of comedians are, as we know, they're, they can be a little dark, you know, like in person, many of them are dealing with the absurdity and the sadness of life through the irony and humor that they find in their art. And that's acceptable in music. It can quickly come off like novelty music. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, the risk you run is not someone's as critically saying there's something wrong with your, uh, with your music because (laughs) you risk um, someone not receiving it because they were ready to catch something else. They had the catcher's mitt out and it wasn't what they thought. So you have a very short thumbprint DNA moment and time to impress a joke, an image, a chord, a feeling on someone. And it goes by like that. So it is risky. I just see life as uh, uh, the way the comedians do. I, I see it as sad and ironic and funny. And to me, putting all of them together is an ambitious thing that I can't help doing. And I know that it falls on deaf ears 90% of the time. And not because people are too dumb to get it, but because uh, of the nature of music and the way that we uh, think that we're going to accept what's coming. Minor chord, sad sentiment, sad words. He's sad. You know, uh, <laughs> they, they get that. And we need that because you know, when you're dealing with something and you're going to take music in to either escape it or to like kind of awesomely wallow in it, uh, you want to understand, you know, where you are. You can't boss the audience around and tell them what to feel and think. Mm-hmm. I had a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love long answers here. Uh, we have to do less work then. That's true. Um, <laughs> and you're already divvying it up between three of you. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> Going off of what Lewis was actually saying, what's interesting to me, uh, and I guess I was thinking about this this weekend when um, Kid Cudi sort of did his um, tribute to Kurt Cobain on SNL. Um, I was thinking about Ben Folds 5 coming out in like your first album's 95. You know, it's a year after Kurt's death. And I'm just thinking about the landscape of rock music around then. Mm. And it's like, did you feel a sort of, like you had to be sort of different than what was sort of like the general vibe of like the world sucks uh, and I'm like angsty and over it that I feel like the early 90s sort of was mm-hmm. when music yeah. uh, and you are sort of there coming with like I'm angsty but I'm funny about it like in like Brick and then like Rock in the Suburbs and yeah. Song for the Dump. Yeah, I mean, um, what happened in, in indie rock grunge <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. what Kurt Cobain did and what was really prevalent in, in the town that we lived in, um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, was pretty heavy hitting um, uh, guitar music, uh, very rough around the edges, uh, very much reacting to what had come before. And if anyone, if any of us had to live through five minutes of the radio in the late 80s again, you'd, you'd understand <laughs> why everyone was so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> it was seriously the worst period. And people think, you know, like we'll we'll think like now or there's another time that's that's always now that they're like, well, music sucks these days. You're like, yeah, rewind that shit and go back to 1989 because it was really bad. There were a couple of good songs out at that moment that really stood out, or a couple of bands or acts that were just like, wow, that's great. You know, like Mariah Carey arrived then and you couldn't deny her talent. It was just absolutely fantastic singing, whether you liked her music or not. And like, I don't know, uh, REM, whether they had a hook 
or not. That was kind of there. But if you strip a couple of those things out, it was it was absolutely abysmal. So um, I guess <laughs> my long answer for that was we were all super inspired. Mm-hmm. Nirvana stormed the charts in such a big way with something so unlikely. You take it for granted when you hear what they were doing live now and what their records really sounded like beneath the sort of well-mixed veneer of it. It was rough. That was some rough and tumble and very original music. So we were super excited. And I just thought, well, this is the time you can do anything, you know, like like to roll a grand piano, which is what we did into punk rock clubs and play the same clubs that Nirvana had been playing two years before to go through like that, like that was offensive to kids. And that was awesome because, you know, you know, if you're offending the offenders and, and we were, we were <laughs> thrilled to bring what I call living room furniture, which is a piano up into their tattoo den and, and, and play fast, happy, loud music. Fuck you. I thought Hell it was yeah. a lot of fun. And, uh, and they, they, they got it. And it was an exciting time. We could use something busting the door down like that again now probably but um i'm not sure given the delivery systems and the way that we all receive our music if anything can really be lock and step the way that it used to be for better or for worse well that's because i feel like even back then we when we were growing up still they had terms of like what was alternative music yeah. and stuff like that right and i feel like with the way music is disseminated now can you even use those terms anymore? Because like, if she'd come out years ago, Billie Eilish, who's one of the biggest pop stars in the world now, would have been labeled alternative. And now she's just pop. Run of the mill yeah. pop star, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's difficult to bend genre when they've all been bent until <laughs> they've been broken. So, Good point. Um, mm-hmm. But before we, I don't want to run out of time because we'd be remiss to not mention Lightning Bugs and the podcast that you're working on now. I'm <laughs> super excited about it because at the end of each podcast, you create a song with your guest. Yeah. And I think that's so cool and beautiful because, first of all, these are not musicians that you're bringing onto your podcast. These are Most are aren't. Some are. Yeah. Those are the hard ones, actually. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I wanted to know, I mean, it's kind of a two-part question. If, one, you could talk about the process of what it's like to create with someone who does not create music yeah. and how difficult and kind of vulnerable that might be. And then also, what is Ben Fold's like, process in composing music? Is it like, I'm going to start with the bass line. Or I'm going to start with the piano. Oh. I know it might be different every time, but I do want to know. <laughs> That's all what my brain is consumed with now because y'all will understand. I mean, I signed up to do 50 of these this year. You know how many songs that is? Yeah, uh, I mean, much if I do the math, 50, I think. <laughs> Can't slip anything past you. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you're right. But let's 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 reword that. Do you have any idea how many hours that is? Right. Well, well, I've heard mm. one of the compositions and it sounds like you're putting a lot of time into each song. So thank you. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's different for each person. I don't, and I think it's probably good. I, I always look back at these uncertain periods when I have made things, whether it's an album or a song or whatever it, it happens to be one of those two things. And, and there's a, there is a time where you don't know how to do it. And you're creating something you just don't know like each time is different and you haven't got a method and it's frustrating because you want a method as soon as you get the method then all of a sudden it's not as exciting although you can't see that at the time so i'm hoping that's where i am but i really like i don't know how to cue my guests like each time i say look we're gonna make a song together and if it's i don't know if, uh, like an anthropologist like last time he's like what 
<laughs> and I was like, well, you can't just leave me an idea, anything on your phone, which is what he did. But then the next time I talked to Bob Saget and I was like, Bob, would you like to give me, uh, you know, some, some kind of, of song? And he's like, yeah, sitting here in quarantine, thinking about my prostate. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> there's, there's a song. And so then, then, then I'm using this different method because he's saying lyrics to me. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is each one is different. And my method has been to try to cue them. It's very difficult when it's a musician because the musicians have a method. And of course, they're not going to seriously sit there with you and write. You're not going to, I'm not writing a song with another musician on fucking Zoom like this. Like that's not, so they'll give you something <laughs> shitty. <laughs> uh, wow. Or, Sabotage. Or, or, but no, but just because like, you're not going to give some, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like if you guys say, give me an idea for a song, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm going to give you the thing that I might put on my album. It's not going to happen. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so that's where my head is at recently. Jesus. Oh, wow. Ben, before we let you go, I do have a random question. Because uh, I'm the rest of them had so much. Have you enjoyed the linear attack we've bestowed <laughs> upon you thus far? Uh, this weekend, I'm actually going to North Carolina. Mm. I'm going to Raleigh, and then I'm going to Chapel Hill. Awesome. Um, so, what should I expect there from your hometown? Um, and have you been back recently? I haven't been back recently, but. It doesn't seem to change that much, Chapel Hill. I mean, basically, mm -hmm. it's Franklin Street. So mm -hmm. if you're in a rental car, park it on Franklin Street. You can find anything you want. That's basically it. You can walk all the way down Franklin Street until you get to Carborough. And Carborough is like a small Chapel Hill. And they have a couple of probably, they always thought they were a little cooler. So you know, maybe mm -hmm. the coffee shops over there are a little more uh Mom and pop, I, I, I don't know. I used Is to your... live behind the fire station. So if you find yourself around the fire station. Okay, I want to find the exact suburbs that were, you were singing about. That were so. once rocked, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking about there. I think, I think, I think, I think that, that went back to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, the, the, okay. the, the, suburban, the suburban talk there. I just thought it was the most uncool mm. thing I could possibly say in a song was the word suburbs, but now it seems to have gotten... <laughs> That was that was like you know two thousand and uh, you know th styles change, but I remember I, I was lobbied not to use that as as a title for the album because of the word suburbs. <laughs> mm. Tell that to Arcade Fire. To say nothing of Arcade Fire. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I imagine, yeah. yeah. Usually I do something Arcade Fire will, will, will make sure it works and then they do it. Yeah, you know, well, you paved the way for them. So. Yeah, absolutely. Just open the door. Congrats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They owe it all to me. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us, Ben. Absolutely. Y'all are a pleasure to talk yeah. to. And, uh, and good luck with your little podcast. You know, let me know if you need any advice. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning Bugs with Ben Folds is available wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next, Ray Sani and Jaquise Neal join to talk about reality TV shows. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. 
more popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Our other guests today are reality show mavens. They are both writers and comedians and hosts of the new podcast, The Cast with Ray and Jaquise. Please welcome Ray Sani and Jaquise Neal. What's up? What's up? You two are hosting um, this new podcast called The Cast, uh, and it is so fascinating to me because basically you are creating your own mega reality TV cast. Yeah. it's, it's So, you know... Me and me and Ray like bonded over our love of the challenge, mm-hmm. and I love the challenge that. podcast that y'all had. Yes, it's very fun. We're, we're gonna do it again. We're gonna do it again. It's my fault for everybody who was a fan of that show that we didn't do it this season. Uh, blame it on me. Well, the season is boring, so it's fine. Oh man, is it? Is the season boring? The se- remember? So uh, I kept telling you to I watch it, watched. Ray. I kept telling you to watch it because uh-huh. me and my roommate Royce, we love it. Uh, it was very interesting from the beginning, and then, like, right when they started focusing on Lolo Jones, it got real boring. Oh, yeah, yeah I could have told you that. Yeah, <laughs> she left though, she left and then they picked back up. Okay, <laughs> or I don't know if you've gotten there yet. I have not. Uh, okay, you also well, just spoiled him. On this season. I'm so sorry, <laughs> it's truly not a spoil. It's not a spoil. I mm-hmm. think you can see it coming. Lolo Jones does not win. Yeah. FYI. <laughs> I'm sorry. Celebrity Big Brother's own Lolo Jones. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was trying to explain to someone that she sucked so much on it Big was Brother. Me. So like, yeah, to Jackie's that she sucked so much on Celebrity Big Brother that I couldn't even begin to think she could possibly be decent on the challenge. And even like she had been on the challenge before and she fucking sucked on Champs vs. Stars. I wanted to kill yeah. her. Mm. <laughs> So the show, um, explain how you are creating like the perfect reality TV show cast. You two met doing your challenge podcast. And then uh, we got hit up to host uh, a reality TV show podcast. And me and Ray just came up with like, all right, what? We just started brainstorming and eventually landed. We just landed on the fact that we love reality TV. What would it be like if we cast it just the perfect reality TV show cast? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we just use crazy, great, big, well-known moments throughout reality TV show history. And we are plucking like cast members from there, building a cast of 12. And you know, it's uh, Ray is the expert. I'm just the opinionated person um, who knows about reality TV, but she keeps me in check. So it's fun because, you know, there are different kinds of characters, obviously, that suit a cast or whatever. And, you know, Ira, you and I, we discuss reality TV like it's, you know, an obsession. I don't even think that I have, like, friendships that exist outside of reality TV anymore. <laughs> so, like, it's it's really nice to not only get to, like, meet and re-meet people that we already met. I mean, recently, Jack Case and I released an episode about making the band where, like, mm. 15-year-old us had different 
opinions about that clip where Diddy makes them walk to get yeah. cheesecake versus, you know, us at our ages now. I'm not going to spill. <laughs> <laughs> We're on opposite sides of the spectrum, just so you yeah. know. And so, I would um, not be going to get that nigga cheesecake. I'm just going to say absolutely that. Not. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it, it, it's fascinating because, like, with my 15-year-old lens, I thought that was a genius task. Go, you know. And so um, just getting to revisit moments with an adult as an adult is fun. Yeah. Um, bonding over what you liked or didn't like, what you would do. It's a lot of, um, you know, talking mess and, and getting to be cool and fun and getting to watch people be cool and fun and also getting to hate people without it being consequential. You know, I get to trash people who get who don't get to cuss me out back. Exactly. Mm. Who are some reality TV show staple veterans who have made it into the cast and who has specifically not made it into the cast? Oh, okay, Jackies. Who has made it into the cast? <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and start with, you know, the legends. We got Johnny Bananas. Uh -huh. He's on the cast. We got Tiffany New York Pollard. Now, already there, I'm, I'm just worried. Like, can... Oh, humanity handle it yeah can we they yeah fighting. exactly <laughs> they fighting and that's the perfect genius yeah that's part of the fun it's like okay not only are we considering for example like we watch that clip and discuss that clip of new york versus pumpkin on flavor of love so it's like not only do we get to revisit and discuss that clip but then once we've put somebody in a in a moment onto our cast we have to debate who in the following episodes a clip gets to be on the cast with them and what that dynamic would present. I yeah. would spend thousands of dollars. That's a lie. Maybe join one streaming service to see <laughs> if like if like Johnny Bananas and New York could handle it in the same house together. I think they could. But you know me and Ray fighting right now. We fighting over mm -hmm. one cast member in, in particular. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting her go. Okay. It's Aviva Drescher. Aviva Drescher from mm -hmm. Real Housewives mm -hmm. of New York. Yes. She threw a fucking leg, man. She threw I a fucking leg. I That's listened to that episode, and I, I, <laughs> you, you have an outsized appreciation of Aviva <laughs> This woman who truly did nothing on the show whatsoever, uh, and then oh, in in shit. a final gasp for relevancy, threw her prosthetic Honestly. leg across the room, <laughs> and it's like. The, fit, the best, no, the best part about that clip is that when she throws her leg, there's someone in the background. You can hear them say, "I knew it." <laughs> you could tell that she was going, to, that she was reaching under the table for her leg to try and create a moment. It's so tacky. Yes. I knew it is very funny. Um, <laughs> but by the way, if you're going to have a Hail Mary throwing your fake leg, I mean, I, I don't I don't hate the effort. No. I can't speak for her entire presence on the show, but yes. It was it was worth the try. You know what I mean? We, ha we yeah. have the moment to discuss, but, you know, I just never want to get to a place where I'm tossing my prosthesis. That's really awkward. <laughs> I hope to never need a TV show that much. If we looking for somebody who can end an argument, how what better way to end an argument than throwing your damn leg at somebody? But you can, you can only do it once. You can only do it once. You can only do it once. Because if, if you throw your leg at me again, I'm going to be like, bitch, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> or I'm taking but it. Throw your leg again. <laughs> but if you, if you were Aviva, okay, and it is your last moment on the season finale shooting, if you have a poor re reunion showing, like, yeah. So you throw your leg. Let's say you secure a spot. 
how do you how do you top throwing a leg mm-hmm. opening episode season three of your run on New York Housewives? My instinct when you ask that question is to be like the Godfather, where like she gets into a fight with somebody and then they wake up the next morning with her leg. You know, something yes. like <laughs> yes. more, more planning mm-hmm. about how to get the leg to other people. Okay, so yeah. like yeah. the horse, the yeah. horse scene. The yes. horse scene. Correct. You bring yes. you bring them in the room and you know, like, sit down. Let me talk to you. And the whole time you're just rubbing your leg on the table. <laughs> also, <laughs> it would have been much smarter for her to throw her leg at the reunion. Oh right. yes, that's mm. true. Yeah. yeah, I like how you call that smarter. Sorry, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. uh, on what IQ scale? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, give them more. You can't give it to them all at the season finale. It is smarter, weirdly to say, but it is smarter. You know, you got to give them crumbs. You got to give them some of your leg at the season finale. (laughs) Just give them the foot. Yeah, (laughs) a toe. Quick side note on that, just to explain to Lewis, too, who isn't a real housewives person. Basically, you you film a season and all these women are... You know, regular cast members, they have either a peach or a diamond or whatever they hold right. in the opening credits. And you know that you're a full-time cast member. But also each season, there are people who have the potential to be full-time cast members. Mm-hmm. And if you don't give the producers enough of a story, yes. um, you will just be a friend of uh, and you won't be promoted. A lot of us are excited for this upcoming season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because um, Sutton uh, is elevated now to being a cast member. Um, Did her husband say her kids can appear on camera? What's I the think I think it's time? I think it's just because she's the only one um, being rude to Erica Jane about stealing money from <laughs> plane crash <laughs> victims. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's a great way. Yeah. that's a great way to get uh, a get a full time gig. It's yeah. to expose your castmates. I love it. But <laughs> the a season finale will also have many Hail Marys from people yeah. who are like trying to get in the main cast. Um, and so it, it always ends up with something like insane like that. Like when Eden like, you know, just jumped up at Lisa Rinna and yelled at her and called her a bitch um, <laughs> for no reason other than, oh, this is the last t- day we're taping. I need to give the producer yes. something. Mm. Yeah. And that's what makes a perfect reality show member. You know when you know when you got the camera on you and you know when you gotta make good TV. If you know when you gotta make good TV, she probably didn't do nothing the whole season. The <laughs> fan was throwing the leg good TV. You can't say that's not good TV. That's great television. It'd be hard for I me to pick it. a favorite reality TV show cast member. Do you know who comes to mind is Dan from the real world Miami? He was like the first gay guy I saw who was like so often the person who was designated the funny one on a cast of a show is just trying too hard to be funny. Mm-hmm. And I he was the one who like felt like, oh, that those are like jokes I would want to make. Right. You know, we did not have genuinely funny people for a long time on reality TV. Plus, yeah. he yelled at somebody for opening his mail. Mail, oh, you stupid yeah. bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why do you want to open up, you stupid bitch? <laughs> Melissa, Melissa, yes. Melissa, yes. Yeah. Well, so what was really fantastic about Dan, too, is that, and what's so exciting about getting to r- run these moments through our mind, or like rerun these moments, with Jacquees is like, when I was a kid, Dan seemed so grown. He was yeah. such a yeah. grown up. But yeah. like to, to imagine that that was probably what, a 23 year old? Definitely. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he was a baby. He was like yelling at someone for going through his mail. like such a reasonable thing, but it like stuck out in my memory. Like, yeah, you don't go through a grown man's mail like yeah. that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a federal offense, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at him for being mad. <laughs> well, and then you get to get the fun backstories, too, like when you find out that, like, 
he flipped out in that moment uh, because his mom found out he was gay by going through his mail. And yeah. so that is like what I've enjoyed with being friends with you, Ray. I feel like I dive more into the psychology of these reality people um, more than I used to because watching mm -hmm. them, the fun I feel like in watching reality TV now for me is you're thinking, okay, this is a person who is trying to present themselves on TV, one, mm -hmm. two, make good television and stay a part of this cast. So those two things are always like, you know, bumming up against one another. You know, you have to present yeah. yourself authentically for people to like you, but you also have to be interesting enough to stay on the show. And some people mm -hmm. flop and are just like boring. Yeah. That's what's been so interesting too a part of this as part of this experiment because it's so much harder to find a likable protagonist yeah. than it is to find a villain that steals a moment or steals a show and so like part of this like journey has been me trying to figure out which good guy I like and why and I'm discovering a lot about my own psychology by exploring these people's psychology I don't think I want a protagonist very much or at least i'm discovering that i'm not attracted to women who behave well mm -hmm. and yeah. what is that about what is it in me that is drawn to women who are just so transgressive in moments and what is it about me that is attracted to people who have no concern for social norms and you know um repression by like group dynamics yeah and i've been really surprised to discover that I love a manipulator. <laughs> like I love a manipulator. And it's, and it's weird because there are so many different ways and generally manipulation is like a, a bad word and for the most part it is. But a manipulator in a way like, I know how I'm gonna affect this moment. Or I know if I set this domino down, I'm going to go ahead and knock the rest of them down and make this great big moment. It's been so fascinating to watch to understand that you can't have a good reality show for the most part without somebody in the cast who is going to play that role of manipulator for the rest of the season or somebody right. who's going to set up a moment because they know like Johnny Bananas. Johnny Bananas been on TV for 40 fucking years. Like he knows, <laughs> he knows like exactly what he's doing, when he does it, how yeah. he does it. Hey, he's thinking like three, four episodes ahead. And it's just, it's genius to me. It's genius that reality show uh, cast member for the good ones has become a skill set. Yeah, <laughs> like right. it is a true mm -hmm. skill set. Yeah. And it's dope. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the evolution of television, but in a more organic way. Obviously, reality TV has come to feel a lot more inorganic as time has gone on. And yeah. more often than not, it feels like mumblecore more than anything these days. But it's really, really cool to see how people have pushed what television looks like as opposed to just, you know, architects and, you know, creators and things like that. There are people who have just showed up and changed the way that we see the world just mm -hmm. by being themselves on television or choosing which version of themselves to present. And um, that's a magic that I think is very important and goes underappreciated by a lot of people because reality TV isn't taken as seriously as a genre. Yeah. And it definitely is taken more seriously now, you know, to the point where, you know, it's like it's what it, it, you can win Emmys for it, at least competition ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and even seeing reality slide back into the slick sort of hills produced where you don't know mm -hmm. what's real and what's fake with like selling sunset. Yeah. You know, it's like it seems overly produced. Yeah. Um, but on that note, 
I'm going to make everybody play a game. Okay. Oh, oh I hate that. <laughs> oh, let's do it. Uh, to test your reality television knowledge. So we have okay. created some real descriptions of reality TV shows and some fake descriptions. So you need to guess if the show is real or not. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Sperm Race, 2005. The contestants, who include two German celebrities and a health freak, begin by donating sperm in a clinic. The sperm will then be frozen and sent to the company's studio in Cologne, where the sperm will race towards an egg. Three doctors, including a gynecologist, will be on hand to make sure the sperm behave correctly, while cameras will record it all, as well as laying claim to the title of Germany's most fertile man. The winner will also be given a suitably German reward, a Porsche. Oh, my God. Real... Or fake. So, like, on the one hand, right, that is absurd, right? But on the (laughs) other hand, the Germans would want to watch whose sperm is more efficient, right? But then they wouldn't give you a Porsche for it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say no, but could be a real show if the prize weren't so big. Mm -hmm. No, not a real show. It unfortunately is a real show. Wow, that (laughs) really surprises me. That really surprises me. A Porsche? Yes. I I mean, you know, what doesn't surprise me is the title, Most Fertile Man. Okay. Like, you don't come up with titles like that unless you're putting it on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Also, by the way, so do do they, like, animate the sperm racing? They seem very wrapped up in the drama of the movement of the sperm. (laughs) That is such Uh, a German show. God. I love it. I love it. Now I'm picturing Uh, sperm driving Porsches. Okay. Yes! All right. Best Funeral Ever, 2013. (laughs) The Golden Gate Funeral Home in Dallas was showcased in a 2013 TLC reality show with an unbelievable title. The funeral home goes all out to turn funerals into unique moments of celebration. Barbecue funeral? Check. Disco funeral? Check. Christmas funeral? Got that too. (laughs) Real or fake? All right, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. That sounds amazing, but you know what makes me think it's fake? Is the fact that it's on TLC. Like that sounds like mm. an MTV. Let's get let's get the homies on this show and let's have a cookout barbecue. Like that sounds like it's gonna be more black people than it is. And I don't know if that many black people are on TLC. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm say it's fake. That show is real. Wow. <laughs> Pimp my hearse. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, I would have guessed. If it were real, that it would be on like A and E or one of those. Right. I think TLC. 2013 TLC was doing a lot of different things. Yes, that's it was true. doing the most. Yeah. It's like, true. damn, we lost John and K plus A. We need something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were hurting. Then- they were hurting. They were hurting. All right, Lewis, it's your turn. All right, I would have been duped by those two. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Boomer or bust? 2021. Okay. This currently airing YouTube original has boomers returning to their post-college financials to create and live on a millennial budget. Oh. They have lifelines like asking your parents for money, but instead of parents, it's adult children. That's fucking great. Well, let me just say, there are like little um, 
labs at networks where the people just sit around and create log lines for reality shows and then some get sold for like 20 bucks and then are never get made but really if you put me in a room i feel like i could think of that yeah. so i feel like i can hear the meeting which created this so to speak if it does exist i, I feel like uh, uh execs at places like this can't resist buzzwordy headlines i'm gonna say boomer or bust is real okay it is fake damn it Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a great premise. Yeah. Whoever came up that with that. That is a great premise. Go pitch it right fucking <laughs> Right. Now. This is money in the bank for somebody. Yeah. yeah. We're going yes. to see all the fake shows from here, like on Netflix at the end of the year. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Netflix is making everything. And then I'm good because I'm ready to sue Netflix. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, like, yeah, where my EP, where my EP credit okay. at, y'all? Well, let's try another <laughs> round. Heard this. Let's try another round to see if anyone gets any points. <laughs> All right. Okay. No, I, no, we killing the game right now, mm -mm. everybody. We killing the game. Who's your daddy? Two thousand five. Who's your daddy was a Fox show that had an adopted adult guess their biological father's identity <laughs> from a pool of men. <laughs> In the pilot, the contestant quizzed and tested out a series of men pretending to be her father in order to try and pick the real one amongst the pretenders. <laughs> okay. Wow. There's a lot here. On the wow. one hand, right? That just sounds insane. Right? But on the other hand, Fox in particular has had a bunch of reality shows with absurd premises like that like Joe Millionaire or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go real. You are correct. Oh, you're on the board. Wow. And I watched that show. What? <laughs> wow. I watched it. What? It was like and now summer you're the of 2005. Way you are. <laughs> yeah. It fucked you up, bro. It fucked you up. <laughs> it was hosted by Finola Hughes, Anna Devane from General Hospital. On General Hospital. Yeah. Oh. Thank you, Jackies. <laughs> Thank you. I, know, I watch it. Okay. I watch okay. it. I watch it. And she plays her own twin sister, Alex Devane. Don't yes! get me started on GH <laughs> history. Don't get me started on this GH history. Jackies and I will um, do the spinoff of the cast yes. where we create the perfect soap opera cast. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Can do 2016. Stylist assistants compete throughout the course of the Cannes Film Festival for the chance to dress <laughs> a star leading up to the announcement of the Palme d'Or. The competition begins in Los Angeles, where the first challenge is properly packaging a festival's worth of high fashion and progresses through the tentpole events of the festival. Mm. Okay, this seems boring enough to be a reality show. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine getting that much footage for a show like this to create a 13 plus week show from a week of actual you know footage so i'm gonna say this is fake you're correct it's nice fake. yeah yes. <laughs> can do sounds like yes. an episode title not a tv show title yes oh. it sounds like an episode yeah all right, Lewis. And this is the final one, right? So I, we're just going to find out if I tie or lose, which is exciting. Yeah, well, then there'll be a tie, <laughs> then there'll be a tie breaker. Okay. Okay. Boy Meets Boy, 2003. Oh. An American reality TV oh. show in which a gay man met and chose a mate from a group of 15 potential male suitors. The show featured the twist that the leading man did not know that the mix of suitors included both gay and heterosexual men pretending to be gay <laughs> so they could win. Definitely real. I've seen that show. 
Sam. <laughs> that's that's from the era of also um, Manhunt with Carmen Electra on yes. Bravo. Yes. Oh yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And also sounds cruel enough for the time. Definitely it sounds cruel yes. enough. For yeah, the time. it sounds like yeah. in 2003 we would be cruel enough to put straight men in a gay man's pool on TV show. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we was just throwing shit at the wall at that in that, in that yeah. era of reality TV. <laughs> anyway, time for a. Tiebreaker. Ooh. Okay. All right, right. Jackie. So I'm about to beat your ass. Uh, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for these hands. I'm ready. Mm. <laughs> Queen of the Nile, 2011. This Housewives-inspired reality show follows the major players in the insular world of drag in Cairo. Middle Eastern drag icons Cleo Sinatra, Rosetta Stoner and Nefertiti <laughs> star. Explore the underground LGBTQ scene in Egypt through the eyes of performers navigating faith, family, and fabulousness. Aired on Channel 4 in the UK. What year, you said? 2011. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds too early. My, such a so we're all guessing on this one? Yeah, first one uh, my, oh, We're all guessing. My, oh, okay. my feeling is that the drag queens themselves are a little too punny. So, yeah. like, Rosetta Stoner, I mean, like, that seems yeah. very first thought Too for clever. me. Yeah. So I'm going to say yeah. no. Okay. 2011 seems too early for such brave uh, drag queenery in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, just because I can't win if I say no, so True. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Strategically, you did the right thing. Yes. Strategically, I'm going to say yes, just so, I can, just so I can grab this W. All right. That is very fake. Oh, good. yes. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Ray and I win. Yeah, so Ray and Lu- Lewis win. All right. Well, All Ray, right. let's take this show on the road. Yes. yes. <laughs> to the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here. Uh, Thank you so much yes. for having me. Yeah. Yes, the cast is a hilarious fucking show. Like I, I constantly keep telling people to listen to it. I'm cracking up. Oh yeah, because uh, I, I love when y'all talk about like reality shows, and then like it gets to y'all arguing about Jordan versus LeBron uh, versus <laughs> the Knicks. You know, it's great. It's a really great show. Uh, uh, Jaquise, so nice to meet you. And Ray, yeah, nice thank you, you for being back. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah. Bye, Louis. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> New episodes of The Cast with Ray and Jaquise drop every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. And when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Wahoo. We need a theme song. What are we mad at this week? I'm mad at so many Lenas this week. I don't even know <laughs> mm. which one to pick. I, I feel like... Hopefully not well, Lena Horn. Girl. <laughs> Aida, would you say that you were mad at all of them? Well, yes. I am very mad. I'm mad at them. Um, the thing is, I, I have two options. I'm only going to pick one. I'm not going to harp on both Lenas. So this week, instead of being mad at the Lena with the traumatic black plot line, I am mad at the Lena with the traumatic white hemlines. (laughs) 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 Because (laughs) (laughs) Lena Dunham has released a clothing line for plus-size women 
And girl, it's just hideous, first of all. That's not even, I have real po- political reasons to be mad, but the clothes are just ugly. First of all, who told you to expand your empire into the fashion world when you have never been a fashionable person? One. Two, plus size starts at 12 and 14, depending on the brand. Lena herself is maybe a 14 as of recent. This is a new thing. And her clothing line goes up to a size 26. Which, for any of you guys who are aware about plus sizes and sizing, 26 is barely, like, this is not where plus size ends. If your brand does not go past size 26, you are nowhere near plus size area. So, it just it's really odd to create a brand championing inclusivity and still manage to be exclusive. Like, <laughs> this, this is the most Lena Dunham bullshit I've ever heard. The prices. The prices. The prices. First of all, we have all seen... The first 45 minutes of girls, at the very least. And look, ridiculous prices for a category of people who already have a hard time finding clothing. Like, Mm. truly just fuck you. $300 for a jacket. Ivy Park doesn't even cost that much. And we like her. For Lita Dunham? $300 for a Lita Dunham jacket? $300. I'd rather hit it with the Gucci. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Look, Ira Ira being Billie Eilish's like best friend and sister. (laughs) I just I just I just want Lena to sit down for once and think about her actions and maybe maybe just accept that we don't want her in the public sphere. I don't. I don't. This clothing is hideous. I don't understand what she's trying to accomplish now. And I get so frustrated when I see her name. And look, Lena, just you are my enemy. Lena Dunham, (laughs) you are my enemy. I want you to know. I just know that every time Lena Dunham is in the news, I am programmed to soon expect a notes app type apology for whatever has occurred. And my God, Mm -hmm. am I sick of her apology rhetoric. It's so samey and predictable. And yet, I mean, like, look, I I think Girls is amazing. And I think a show that is unparalleled in certain ways. And I do think the public's perception of Lena Dunham and like the kind of I don't know the people like just lay into her in a way that they don't lay into other celebrities is suspicious. But that said, I can't read another note type apology. I just can't. <laughs> I mean, she also ghost writes James Charles apologies. So, <laughs> wow, is he like the new Lena? And that we can just anticipate constantly um, eye roll worthy apologies. Yeah, and they're always there. I mean, he's a YouTuber, you know. So like those apologies are always thirty five minutes long. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> it's always, I'm so sorry for doing this, and I want to say, and I am so, so upset that I did, <laughs> and people yeah. don't understand what we go through. I'm like, bitch, we are 50 minutes in. Where's the apology? <laughs> that was our Foley, that was our Foley artist, Ira, fast-forwarding from YouTube video, just so you know. He's like just Bobby McFerrin to- with his vocal <laughs> tricks. Yeah. Just trying to give you a little police academy, okay? <laughs> uh, it is actually wild that Lena Dunham, a person who was known for getting naked all the time in Girls, is now releasing a clothing line. <laughs> right. Uh, but I will say that I, I wish she would stick to just directing. Yeah. Because the pilot of industry was popping. She did a good job. When her name pops up at the end of that episode, I gasped. I was so yeah. shocked because yeah. it didn't remind me of her at all. Yeah. I was like, okay. It actually has me excited to watch her new television show that's coming out because I like her best when she's creating. Mm-hmm. Creating art and not um, clothing. I'm looking at these clothes, too. And, like, the suit that she's wearing... In the New York Times, ma'am, this wrinkled blue, almost 
denim corduroy look. I was like, not me. <laughs> not me going to a thrift shop <laughs> and finding these clothes. <laughs> Wait, denimish corduroy? Like, you weren't in Buffalo Springfield. You can't get away with that. Come on. <laughs> yes. It's it's corduroy, It's blue corduroy. So, you know, it could be denim. could be corduroy. I can't tell through the photo. But... Yeah, it's it just like looks wrinkled and like you found it at Wasteland. Come on. That's what the girls are saying on Twitter too. They said, I bought this and it came wrinkled, pre-wrinkled for me. That's so odd. <laughs> but speaking of things that may be turned into a thrift store, my keep it this week yes. is to our beloved Arclight Cinemas shutting down in LA. Rather shockingly, we got That's, this news what? the other day. What? That hit me like a ton of fucking bricks getting no that fucking text way. Last it's night. so shocking. Yeah. And this it's Arclight and Pacific Cinemas, which are, operate basically the biggest movie theaters in LA, and specifically the Arclight Hollywood, which is I would describe it as LA HQ, where the only place in LA that makes the city feel like a small town because you show up and you see somebody you dated three years ago, some boss you wish you never had to see again, and then Melanie Griffith. Just everybody is there. Everybody (laughs) is watching something. They're all standing in front of the airport-sized movie grid advertising all the showtimes. There's a restaurant. If you went to the Arclight three nights in a row, you would probably see 75% of Los Angeles is my feeling about it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now I know there will always be conduits to see movies, specifically in LA there'll always be and, the and landmark also, is so far away though i know and it's the location is so fucking strange um but and also there's a chance that you know some david geffen sized person will pick up this movie theater and save it and hopefully yeah. not make it like a, a shambles of its former self or whatever but it, it it's just weirdly devastating like i think i've said this before on the show but every thanksgiving in non COVID times, I go to the movies on se- by myself on Thursday morning because I like staying here for Thanksgiving. And whether you go to the Arclight with 70 people and pay whatever you have to pay for a ticket and popcorn, which is, of course, exorbitant, or you go by yourself, it's such a specific and mm-hmm. um, irreplaceable LA experience. And I just, I, we're used to not having movies in theaters because of the past year, but man, to think of it going away sincerely and uh, for any extended period of time is just like bone chilling. I'm so sad about it. Especially after losing Amoeba Music. Like I can't lose the two reasons why I wanted to live in LA. Well, that's back. Amoeba Music is back. In another location, right? What? In another location. Oh, yeah. So still the the iconography is gone. (laughs) The iconic nature of it is gone. I was really looking forward to a chicken apple sausage hot dog. Please. Yes. (laughs) The baguettes, uh, the pop, the, yeah. the caramel corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, I said it on here before. You know, the last movie I saw was truly one of, I guess, the last films that ever screened in the arc light. Uh, I saw The Hunt the weekend that the shutdown happened. Uh, it's wild that that's going to be like the last movie I've seen at the arc light. God. So anyway, again, the Katzenbergs or the Spielbergs or whoever is lingering out there being like, should I drop a quick nine figures on this? I don't know how much anything costs. Um, please. Tyler Perry will. And then it will yeah. become um, Medea's Cinerama Dome. I'm totally fine with that. I'll, I, I, want, I, I want a giant like 60 million foot poster of Medea, like peeking over her glasses over the dome. Uh, um, yeah, I really am going to miss that. I hope someone does save it because, you know, we talked last week about seeing movies when I saw Godzilla vs. Kong, but that was going on like an opening night with um, two friends and it was as crowded as it could be with capacity. Mm-hmm. But I do miss 
going to the movies like in the morning on a Wednesday, Thursday, uh, just like seeing something by yourself. Fuck yes. It is. There's nothing like it. Yeah. So. Also, this pandemic is the only time in my life I will just randomly Google things like, is the troubadour okay? (laughs) Yeah, right. Are we going to make it? If the troubadour dies, I don't know what I'm going to do. (laughs) The troubadour is such a landmark, and I never think about its history because it's smack dab in the middle of all the gay bars. And it's so bizarre that it's right there. But it's like, oh, where I'll be sitting having like a Moscow mule. And next door, do you know what happened? Uh, John Lennon would perform all the time or the Smothers Brothers or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So mm. mm-hmm. I've seen Nick Jonas there. Actually, the last time I was at the Troubadour, I ran into Iroh and I saw St. Vincent. So no, I didn't see St. Vincent. We saw our friend <laughs> Vincent. Saw Vincent. <laughs> I saw my yeah. Uh, we saw Vincent the singer. Yes. Uh, we'll probably see St. Vincent there soon. She better. That's where I usually see Liz Fair. Yeah. Mm. And Carly Rae Jepsen loves the Troubadour. True. Uh, mm. Yeah. Iroh, what's your keep it? My keep it this week is to specifically Kerry Washington, mm. but. Broadly, celebrities who feel the need to be topical on social media. Okay. Mm. This seems like a very 2010 Why? gripe, but I'll allow it. Go on. Yes. <laughs> so after DMX and Prince Philip died, uh, Kerry Washington tweeted, Anybody else wondering what DMX and His Royal Highness Prince Philip are chatting about together at the pearly gates? My love to both their families. May they both rest in peace. Oh, my God. Come on, Carrie. Come on. (laughs) Carrie, what the hell? (laughs) Miserable. Uh, Anybody wondering? No? (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, One of my favorite responses was someone writing, this is your worst tweet, I fear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Aside from it just being so corny in general, like it's corny. And, like, you have to be, like, a dweeb to tweet something like that. Yeah. Um, it's just that that whole Kobe RBG tweet universe yeah. that became ironic, but I think started out in earnest. It really just begs the question, why is Kerry Washington tweeting about DMX and Prince Philip? <laughs> and assuming Prince Philip's in heaven. Right. Big leap. <laughs> okay. That's the she got th- presumptuous. Yeah. He, is a, yeah. he is on a safari in hell. <laughs> 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 Um, so, so getting that out of the way, um, it's so goofy. It's just like, this is from that trend of celebrities that I feel like Reese Witherspoon has sort of started and they were, they were, you know, starting their little fires everywhere, um, Mm -hmm. on Hulu. (laughs) So I feel like everyone who comes into contact with Reese tries to do their social media the same way. And it's like, it's sort of like cutesy and it's like, I'm relatable. And, you know, I'm just like, you could just catch me in like a pair of um, jeans getting like a coffee and reading a book, you know, um, at any town USA. And quote unquote engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh, But it's like, I don't need this from you, girl. I want you to restart B613. Okay. (laughs) Uh Let's let's do that. I, I enjoy her as an actress, you know, and I think she's actually a very, seems like a lovely person, you know, but th- we don't need this. We don't need this. And, and it's, it's that sort of like any town USA tweeting that celebrities do that is so obnoxious. It is like Mindy Kaling does that, too. There was a picture of Mindy Kaling wrapped in Christmas lights being like, doink, I'm wrapped in Christmas lights. I'm like, aren't you like a genius? What is, what is <laughs> happening here? <laughs> And that is the thing that is so weird about it. 
like Mindy Kaling, you started on The Office, so like we we should be thinking of you as a comedy genius. And here you are doing like, oh, I'm wrapped in Christmas lights, like <laughs> like, like, like what? Like, Who what? Is this for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you see like Carrie doing this is like, girl, we love you on Scandal, like in these like fine ass suits, you know. And like you know we <laughs> and you make fun of like your um, teeth acting too, which we love, but we love that aspect of you. We don't love like the other side of you as a celebrity it's like just be a celebrity right <laughs> but that's the lines have gotten so muddy now because every like look like a little Nas X who is, just does online humor so well mm-hmm. and is a musician so now everyone thinks they have to be comedians and comedians are barely comedians so <laughs> let's not <laughs> force that on actors yeah I'm really thankful for the people who not only do quote unquote online content well but seem to actually represent themselves like it's not subscribing to an idea of relatability or what's most engaging to the most people at any given moment? You know, like someone like Cardi B just happens to do her own thing well, and you can tell she's not, like, copying somebody. She's not, like, she's like, I'll copy Susan Orlean. That's who I'm guessing. <laughs> that was the first name what? that came to mind. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> of all the references to make. <laughs> <laughs> who are these people? Uh, <laughs> Susan Orlean, a woman I have not thought about ever. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Streep has only played a few living people, and that's one of them. Susan Orlean is actually helping to produce the John Wilson show on HBO. Have you guys seen it? Oh, no. I need to see it. Yeah. Oh, I have seen that show. It, it, I love that. I love it. Yeah. So random. Yeah. But Susan is involved. Just wanted to, you were wondering about her relevance. It vacillates between uh, giving me anxiety and like um, warming my heart. Yeah, as it should. (laughs) Yeah. Which is what all television should do. What's the name of the show? Um, How to with John Wilson. How to, yes. The first episode is actually heartbreaking. So, and the last one will destroy you. Yeah, so, so carry on. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our show this week. Uh, thank you to Ben Folds for being here, and to uh, Ray Sani and Jackie Neal. We will see you next week. Keep it is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narm Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And, of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.